Good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And if it's your very first time, a special welcome to you. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching in just a minute, but I've got a couple important announcements. Uh, first of all, this time of the year, in fact, later this week on Friday, I will email out a uh, ministry update letter. I always do at this point of year. Uh, just talk about Christmas Eve services coming up, uh, when there's going to be, how it's going to work. Um, talk about our Christmas initiative uh, for the poor or generosity initiative. Uh, and then also just kind of a year and kind of as we go into the year end, how we're doing financially, where we're at uh, there. And so if you're already on our uh, email list, you'll just get one of those Friday morning uh, in your email. But uh, if you're not yet on and you would like to be included in that, then be sure to just uh, fill out your little connect card that's in your program. Uh, give us your email, drop it outside in one of the, uh, the kind of the giving kiosks, and we'll, we'll add you to that. And if, if for some reason you don't want to do that, next week uh, we'll have some hard copies out on the patio for you as well. Then secondly, a lot of you know this, but every year we go to Israel, let's see, every year except the uh, COVID years, and, um, and these have been just great trips, sort of, I call it Adventure Israel, great trip, a lot of hiking, a lot of just uh, a great time. We always limit those trips to just one bus load so we can move quickly, don't get stuck in bathrooms and, um, and in uh, gift stores and things like that. Uh, and so uh, normally it fills up really fast. This one it did again because we're going in March. Uh, but we've had like four people uh, who've had to step out of that. And so kind of unusually, we have four openings right now. And so if you're feeling like that might be something you're interested in, just go to our website and click on the More tab, and you'll see Israel Study Tour there, and it'll give you all the information you need, including everything you need to know about the hiking and uh, what we do while we're there. And also, um, it'll tell you like kind of current vaccine updates with uh, Israel, what they're requiring. And so I um, just want to make that opportunity, uh, make that available to you. So we're going to go into our time of, uh, uh, of uh, teaching right now. So inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week. We'll definitely be using it a lot today. So I encourage you to take that out. And if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Amen. Okay. Father, we're just hungry for you. I, I think of your word that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so they'll be filled in. Lord, we come hungry. We want to experience you. We want to know you. Uh, we want you to lead, guide, and empower us in the power of your spirit. And so as we talk today about the coming of your spirit and his role in our lives and how we can access, um, access kind of into his power, his leading, uh, we pray that you would uh, guide us every step of the way. I pray that as a church, we'd gather around your word. I pray for me just for good energy and clarity. I pray for us as a church that as we gather, our eyes will be uh, open, our ears will be open to whatever you want to say to us, kind of the next step on our journey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story begins today in Europe. Uh, it's uh, shortly after World War II, and, and the land, uh, the continent has been decimated by World War II. The bombings, the mortars, the deaths, the, the torn down buildings, the economies has been shattered and so it's, it's, in a, it's in a terrible state. And so there's a young couple in the United States that, that God, uh, they, they sense God calling them to go and to be part of the solution, to go and to use their gifts and resources and time to help bring healing um, and restoration to this, this broken continent, and especially healing to children. And so they, they uh, do all the necessary preparation. They go over, and for the next several years, they invest their time and energy. They work hard. But honestly, by the time uh, a few years are over, they're exhausted and they're extremely discouraged because it just doesn't seem like they're making much of a difference. And on one level, that could have been the end of the story. But for this young husband, the young man that was involved, this led him not just to a time of discouragement, but a time of deep spiritual crisis. And, uh, and it, it led him to a search a long search, a deep search that was destined to shape their futures. It was one of the scariest times in his life. It's certainly one of the scariest times in the life of his wife, not knowing where this search would end. But in the end, he found the answers that he was looking for. And as a result, they not only changed the course of their lives, but they would go on together to, to shape the lives, to influence the lives of millions of people in the coming years around the globe. 
Well, today we're continuing our series um, that's called Signs. And for those who are new, and I know every week we have people that are brand new, so this is a series about Jesus. And it's, uh, I describe it as an in-depth look at the life and teaching of Jesus, but it's seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers, friends, disciples, a man that we know as John or the Apostle John. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've entered in this second sub-series of signs called Signs of Path Forward. It's all focusing in on this last night that Jesus is with his men at this last Passover meal. And if you've been with us, you know that these, these men, his disciples, entered into this, this night with high hopes for the future. But Jesus has delivered kind of one successive hammer blow of information after the next. And the worst of all was that he said that he's leaving and they can't come with him this time. And this has left them devastated. And into that darkness, into that despair, we've watched the last few weeks as Jesus has begun to speak, speak courage and hope into their future. And as we jump into the, the middle of that conversation today, today he will begin to talk and give them the good news that though he is leaving, and that's devastating, that the good news is that he's sending a replacement, someone to come and lead them, guide them, empower them uh, in the way that he has led them after he goes. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, if you open up with me and would turn to, uh, to John chapter 14, we're going to pick up the conversation at verse 15. And there in your note sheet is a section called Signs of the Promise. And so Jesus starts off and he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Now, this is an interesting uh, verse because uh, based on the Greek, it can be translated either as a statement or a command. So here they've translated it as a command. If you love me, keep my commandments, right? But it could be equally translated, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, in fact, in the 1984 version of the NIV, New International Version, which is, I, as I've told you is my favorite, that's actually how they translate it. And uh, I think there's good reasons to translate it that way. Uh, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Well, this is the way to know whether you truly love me, whether you keep my commands. And we'll, we'll see why later. So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And he says, and then what will happen is I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another what? What's the next word? Advocate. Okay, I want you to circle that or underline it or mark it up in some way. We're going to come back to that word. It's a very important word in the Greek, and we'll come back to it. So he says, I'll send you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And now he, gives, he, he refers to this advocate by his second title, he says, by the spirit of truth. So what we're going to see today as Jesus introduces us to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, that he's going to use three different words or terms in this passage to describe the spirit. The first is advocate. The second is spirit of truth. We'll come back to that. So he says, now the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. So in other words, the spirit is coming but the, the world in general is not going to be aware of his coming. They're going to be oblivious. It's like, um, it's like if, if, you're, if you're blind and you can't see, uh, something may be in front of you, you can't see it. Well, uh, the Spirit's coming, but they're kind of oblivious. To their, they don't have the capacity to recognize him. So he says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be what? He will be in you. So catch that distinction. We'll come back to that later. He is with you, but he will be in the future when he comes in you. And he says, now, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come back to you. Now, at one level, uh, this could refer to Jesus coming back to them after his resurrection. Of course, they don't know he's going to die but he knows he's going to die in return. So at one level, but if you stop and think about it, after he comes back, he's only there for 40 days. And so if he leaves again, um, they would still be orphans. So he seems to be talking not just about coming back physically from resurrection, but coming back to them spiritually through the coming of the Spirit, as we'll see. So he says, um, he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. He says, before long... The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, both you know, after the resurrection and through the Spirit. 
And because I live, you also will live. And so throughout this gospel, Jesus has been saying over and over again, I've come to give you life and life to the full. And now he says, this is why I have to leave. That, I, that if I leave, um, then I'm going to be alive and you're going to come alive. So by his death and resurrection, this new life that he's promised is going to come to them. And he says in verse 20, on that day, in other words, after his death and resurrection, you will realize that I am in my Father and that you are in me and I am what? And you. So there's going to be, after his death and resurrection, the coming of the Spirit, there's going to be a new awareness of a deeper relationship with Jesus. And now he says again for the second time, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So this is the second time he said this, that, that the sign of our love for Jesus is our obedience to what he's told us. And he says, um, and then the one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him, and I will show myself to him. So all this talk about leaving, coming, showing yourself to us, not showing yourself to the world, this is going to be very confusing to the disciples. Because in their worldview, when the Messiah comes, he's going to conquer their enemies. It's going to be very public. And so let's talk about, I'm going to come, you'll see me, they won't see me. This doesn't fit in anything that they have understood. And so Judas, uh, not the bad one, says to him in verse 22, he says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? That makes no sense, right? That's not how the story goes. And Jesus said a third time, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And, uh, and then my father will love him and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. So obviously now he's talking not about a physical coming, but a spiritual coming through the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, of course, on the other hand, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And he says, by the way, these words that you hear, this is what he's been saying all through the Gospel of John, these words that you hear, they're not my own. They belong to the Father. So I'm not just making this up. I'm just telling you that this is what the Father has told me to tell you. He says, now all this I've spoken while I'm still with you. But, you know, after I'm gone, the advocate, right? There's that name again. And now he gives us the third title of the Spirit. So we had advocate. We had spirit of truth. Now we have his third title. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. You know, after I'm gone, you're leading out in this mission, he'll teach you all things. He'll remind you of everything I've said to you. Now, we're going to stop there for today. Jesus is going to go on from this point and talk about this gift of peace. You know, their, their lives are falling apart. Uh, they're devastated. He's about to tell them that after he leaves, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of persecution. But into that, he says, my gift to you is my peace. And we're going to hold that passage for the weekend before Christmas. And I'm going to talk to you that weekend about the gift of peace that Jesus brings. Um, next week, we'll jump into chapter 15. Uh, but we're going to stop it here for today. Because this teaching that Jesus gives today about the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Spirit, is some of the most important teaching in all the Bible about the Holy Spirit, his role in our life, and what it takes to experience him. And so I want to take some time to unpack it. And what I want to do today is just highlight three important truths or principles or facts that Jesus uh, gives us about the coming of the Spirit, who he is, how this relationship works. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Signs the Spirit, right? So you got three, three blanks, three principles. Let's jump in. Uh, the first thing that Jesus wants his disciples to understand is that the new era is here. Now, I want you to think about this. For you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, or even if you not yet decided to follow Jesus, but you've been coming to Rocky Peak any length of time at all, you know this. We talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit a lot here. We talk a lot about the role of the Spirit. We talk about this. When a man or a woman comes to Jesus, one of the things that happens is we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives to lead us, to guide us, 
to transform us from the inside out, to empower us, right, to gift us for ministry. So we talk a lot about the coming of the Holy Spirit. We kind of take this for granted. But what I want you to catch is at this point in human history, the Spirit has not yet been given. The Spirit has not yet come. In fact, this is what the prophets of Israel have been prophesying for a hundred, hundreds of years. That one day that God would come and he would pour out his spirit and his people in a new way. And he would change them from the inside out. He would give them the desires to love and to follow him and the ability to carry that out. Something they could never do on their own. And that this was tied to the coming of the Messiah and the promised kingdom of God. And so for, for hundreds of years, Israel's been waiting for the coming of the king and the coming of the spirit. And I want to give you just a, a taste of this. There's several Old Testament prophecies we could look at, but one of my favorite is there on your note sheet in, Isaiah, in uh, Ezekiel 36. And so God is speaking, and he says to Israel, I will give you a new what? like a whole new motivation system, a whole new way of looking at life. I'll change you from the inside. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone. It's your hard heart, your insensitive heart, your rebellious heart. And I will give you a heart of flesh, a tender heart, a sensitive heart, an obedient heart. And he said, I will put my spirit in you and I will move you. Catch that. He's going, to change from, he's going to move us supernaturally to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws, right? And so this is one of the promises that, that Israel, uh, that God had given them Torah. He had given them the path to life, but they weren't able to follow it because of their fallen human nature. And so God says, one day I'll enter into a new covenant. And this new covenant, I won't write my law on tablets of stone like Mount Sinai, but I'll write them on the human heart. Heart, right? So this is one of the big expectations that one day when the kingdom of God comes and the Messiah comes, he will pour out his spirit. And so we see this, for example, in the gospel of John. Like remember when John the Baptist came way back in chapter one, this is one of the things, one of the claims he made about Jesus, that Jesus was the one who was going to bring the Holy Spirit. He was going to initiate this whole new era. There in your note sheet, in John 1, John the Baptist says, the one who sent me to baptize with water, in other words, God, uh, he told me that the man on whom you see the Spirit come down, remember he's baptizing Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, he said, and remain, he's the one who will what? He'll so John says, I'm baptizing you with water. It's a symbol. Hey, but one that comes after, he's the real deal. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This, he's going to initiate this new era in the human race when God pours out his spirit. Now, we've seen, we've seen Jesus talk about this throughout the gospel. For example, in John chapter 3, remember he told Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, if you want to be part of the kingdom, you have to be born again by the spirit. Right? You remember in chapter 4, he said to the, woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, remember she said, Hey, uh, I perceive you're a prophet. Uh, we've always, we Samaritans, we've always worshiped here at Mount Gerizim. You Jews say we have to worship at Jerusalem. Where's the right place to worship? Remember when Jesus said, woman, a, a time is coming and now is when you'll no longer worship in Jerusalem or in Gerizim. You'll worship in spirit and in truth. And he talked to her about this living water, which was a picture of the Holy Spirit. But one of the most profound statements that Jesus made about the coming of the Spirit is in John chapter 7. And there you know, cheat, you'll remember this. We covered this a few years ago. Uh, this, this happens at the Feast of Tabernacles, right, which is six months before Jesus' arrest. It's in the fall, usually in October. And so he says, on the last and greatest day of the, the festival, the festival of ta uh, tabernacles, which has a lot of water ceremony, Jesus stood up and he said with a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So constantly saying that he's the bread of life, he's the water of life, he's the only one who can satisfy the deepest thirst of our, of our heart. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. He says, whoever believes in me, and then notice what he says next, 
as Scripture has said. Right? So he's referring back to these ancient prophecies about the coming of the Spirit. And he says, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John says, just in case you miss what he's talking about, let me explain. John says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him, like his disciples, were, catch us, later to receive. Right? The Spirit was with them, not yet in them, as Jesus said earlier. He said, up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been what? So glorified, when we, we've seen this in the Gospel of John, when John talks about Jesus glorified, he's talking about him going to the cross and then via the cross being kind of glorified as the true king. And then through his resurrection, returning to the Father and pouring out his spirit. And so John says, uh, at this point in time, uh, the spirit had not yet been given. Why? Because Jesus had not been glorified. And until Jesus goes to the cross and makes atonement for our sin, the spirit can't move into our lives. Just like in the Old Testament, until the temple was purified through sacrifice, the Holy Spirit couldn't fill the temple. You see? So, uh, so what Jesus is telling his men here in John 14 is that, hey, the time has come. This, the, the new era of the human race, long prophet, it's about to happen. And I'm leaving, and one of the reasons I'm leaving is so that the Spirit can come. So for you and I, we're very like, familiar with this, but I want you to catch in the big picture story that, of, the, of the Bible, this is big time. This is one of the major markers in the story the Bible is telling that with the death of Jesus, the Spirit is about to be poured out. Okay? Now, number two, the second thing Jesus wants us to know is kind of what the Spirit's going to do when he comes. So here's, what the, here's the principle. The Spirit leads, guides, and empowers us. So the Holy Spirit does a lot of things in our life, but some of the things that Jesus is going to focus on here, he's going to lead us, he's going to guide us, he's going to empower us. Now, to get at this, I want to, I want to focus on these three names that Jesus uses to describe the, the Spirit to help us understand who the Spirit is and how he works in our lives, all right? So let's, let's start with the first one. The first one to take the longest time. The first term that Jesus uses to describe the Spirit is the advocate, all right? We saw that earlier. I put it there again on your note sheet. I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So let's talk about this word. This is an important word. We're going to do a little bit of Greek study here, all right? Um, it's a, this is a very important word, but it's a very hard word to capture and translate into English in a single word. So let's talk about the Greek word first. So I'm going to give you the word, and I'll spell it for you, and then we'll talk about it. So the word is parakletos, parakletos. And here's how you spell it. It's P-A-R-A, -A, para. And then the second is kletos, K-L-E. T-O-S, parakletos. Now, that actually, parakletos is actually made up of two words. The first word is para, which is, uh, which is a preposition. It can be translated different ways in different settings, but let's go with the, with the translation along, like alongside of. Um, and then the word kletos means called. So literally, a parakletos is one who comes alongside of you, like to help in some way. That's why they translate it here, an advocate who will help you. So um, the challenge is it's hard to communicate into English like one word that really captures this. So for example, our New International Version here calls it the advocate, calls him the advocate. Now, the reason is, is because in the first century, uh, one of the ways that parakletos was used was in a legal setting. Like if you went to court and you had an attorney, your attorney was sometimes called your parakletos, the one who's going to help you, alongside you to help you. Sometimes if you had a key witness for your case, that would be called a parakletos. And so, so the NIV 
uh, translate as an advocate. Right? Um, but it's interesting, if you were to pull out your 1984 version of the NIV, which is my favorite, uh, <laughs> it would translate the same word as counselor. Okay? And if you were to go to like you version and go through a million versions and say like, how do other versions of the Bible translate this word? Here would be some of the more popular ones. Helper would be a popular. Um, another one would be comforter. I don't really like that one personally, but comforter. Um, uh, another one would be friend. And you might find others. And so you say, well, well why, why, why is it so hard? Well, because it's, it's kind of a, it's more of a generic word and it's trying to figure out like contextually what did Jesus mean? But here's, here's my thought on it. I think the most important word or most important key to understanding what the parakletos was, was the word that comes right before parakletos. I want you to look at it again. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you what? Another. Another. Circle that. Another parakletos. What does that imply? If there's another parakletos, that means there was a first parakletos. Who was the first one? Yeah, Jesus. Right? He was the one called alongside to help. So who was Jesus to them? Was he their teacher? Yes. Was he their leader? Yes. Was he their comforter? Eh, a little bit. Uh, was he their rebuker? Yes. Uh, was he, uh, was, did he help them? Yes. You know, was he their friend? Yes. And so I think what Jesus is saying is, I'm leaving, but I'm sending another one to take my place to do for you spiritually what I did for you when I was here physically. Right? Now, it's interesting because we go on in this passage, here's one of the unique things that the Spirit is going to do for us. He is going to communicate, and by communicate, I mean convey Think of the old Latin, communi you know, like communicate, convey, be a conduit of the presence and the power of the Father and the Son. That one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to communicate the presence of Jesus in our lives. To communicate the presence. This is why in the New Testament, often Jesus, the Spirit is re referred to as the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of God, because the Holy Spirit's role is to communicate the presence of God to us. In fact, that's what he says here uh, on your uh, note sheet. He says in uh, 1423, the next one, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love him and we will come to them and make our home with them, right? So the, through the power of the Spirit that the triune God comes to live with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right? So, so that's number one. The first word is advocate, paraclete, the one who's going to do for us what Jesus has done for them, right? The second name for the Holy Spirit that Jesus uses here is the term spirit of truth. And this is one of the things that Jesus hones in on, that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us and he's going to guide us and he's going to do that by opening our eyes to spiritual truth. Now, Truth about what? Truth about Jesus? Yes, who Jesus is, who God is, who we are, the path to life, and a host of other things. The Holy Spirit's the one who opens our eyes to the truth of Scripture. When you're reading Scripture and it's just speaking to you, when it's coming clear and you can see the principles and how they apply, this is the job of the Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth. In fact, there in your note sheet on 1416, he says, I will ask the Father... He will give you, an, I'll give you another advocate, there's the first word, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And if you look at the next verse, the advocate will teach you all things. He'll remind you of everything I have said to you. That's his role, he's a teacher. And if you look at the next verse, we're jumping ahead to John 16, which remember it happens later the same evening. He says, but when he, notice what he calls him, the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth. So we've got two terms, right? Advocate, the one comes alongside, the one who does for us what Jesus does, communicates the presence of God. 
He's also our teacher, our leader, our guide. But there's one word left. There's one description left, and that's the description, the Holy Spirit. So notice uh, in verse, uh, there in the next note sheet, John 14, 26 again, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting because for us as modern 21st century Christ followers, this is probably the title we use for the Spirit more than any other, that we, we often talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, we talk about it so much, we often miss the obvious. It becomes almost like his first name. Like, for example, you know how we talk about Jesus Christ? And I've joked about it. We often think that like Christ is his last name. Like Jesus, you know, he's at the DMV. Jesus, first name, second name, Christ. But remember, I've told you, like Christ is a title. It means Christos. It means the anointed one. It means the Messiah, right? So it's not really his last name. Well, in the same way, holy is not the Spirit's first name. Uh, holy Spirit, good to meet you. First, yeah, I'm holy. Uh, oh, I think we met before. Yeah, Holy Spirit, you know. Um, right, no, holy is a description of his character. This is who, this, that he is holy. In other words, there is nothing wrong. There is nothing broken. There is nothing evil. There is nothing destructive. Like a clear mountain stream is pure. The Holy Spirit is pure. And catch this. This is why he comes to our life, to make us holy, to remove the dross, to remove the deadness, to remove the sin, the evil, whatever is destructive or polluted in our life, to cleanse us so that our lives become like that clear flowing mountain stream, that living water that comes, right? So with these three terms, we get insight into who the Spirit is and why he comes. He's, he's the one that's like Jesus to us, like the replacement Jesus, sort of our mentor, our life coach, the one who comes to lead and guide and empower us to change and grow and be transformed, to lead us into all truth and to unleash his power for transformation in our lives. So that's the second point, right? That Jesus was, here's what he's gonna do when he comes. Now the third point, is that Jesus is very clear on who gets to receive and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the way I put it is like this, the Spirit comes when we listen and follow. Jesus is super clear that not everyone's getting the Holy Spirit. Remember Judas, the, uh, the good one? Remember his question? Why are you gonna show yourself to us and not the world? And what Jesus keeps saying is he says, the Spirit will come to those who love me. This gift, the Father and Son are going to move into your life and lead in God. That's, that's only going to happen for those who love me. But I want you to catch this, how Jesus defines love. It's not like how high we raise our hands in worship. It's not how much we get into it. It's not, it's not even how, how well we know the Bible or how much we give or how much we serve or participate. All those things are, of course, great things and can be part of our obedience. But Jesus says the way that you can tell whether someone really loves him is whether they listen and follow his teaching. And he says it not once, not twice, but three times, as if there's any, you don't want there to be any mistake about this. And I put them there on your note sheet so we could just rifle through them quickly, just so you could hear the hammer beats of this, right? The drum beat. He says that the first one is from the NIV 1984, the inspired version. Um, he, said, he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. He says, and when that happens, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you this other counselor to be with you forever. Look at the next one, 1421. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. I too will love him. I will show myself to him. And then finally, the last verse, 
Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to them and we will make our home. So three times Jesus says, the spirit's not for everybody. The world's not gonna see, I'm not gonna present. The spirit is, is for my father. Those who love me is evidenced by their life of obedience to my teaching, all right? So three big picture principles. That with the coming of Jesus, with his death on the cross, we're stepping into a new era in human history where God is gonna fulfill the ancient prophecies that one day he would pour out his spirit on his people. Secondly, that when the spirit comes, he'll do a lot of things. But he's really gonna come to do for us what Jesus did for his disciples when they were here. He's gonna communicate the presence and the power of God in their life. He's gonna teach us, lead us, empower us to be transformed, to live a life, carry out the mission God has for our lives. And he wants us to be clear that those who receive and walk in the power of his spirit are those who've truly surrendered their life to Jesus and he is their, their first love, all right? Okay, so three principles. Now, what I wanna do right now is do some evaluation, some digging, some reflection on our own lives. And of course, this is just for you. Um, but there in your note sheet, you have a section that call, it's called Science Two Key Questions. So I just want to ask a couple, quick, uh, couple of key questions to help us evaluate kind of our experience with the Holy Spirit. Where are we? Where do we want to go? So here's the first question. So the first question is, are you experiencing the Holy Spirit? So we've seen today what Jesus said that we should expect. He says that when the Spirit comes, he will communicate the presence of, the reality of Jesus, the Father in our lives. He'll teach us, he'll lead us, he'll guide us, open our eyes to spiritual truth, he'll empower us to change, empower us for mission. And so the question would be, like in your life today, to what extent are you experiencing the reality of the Holy Spirit? So the New Testament is very clear that when someone comes to Christ, we talked about this earlier, that one of the things that happens the moment we come to Jesus is we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul says, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, that we don't belong to Christ. This is sort of a definition of what it means to be a Christian, that we've received the Holy Spirit. But, catch this, just because we've received the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we are experiencing the Holy Spirit. Those are two different things. Let me give you an example. Earlier today, we started today with a story of this young couple that had gone over to Europe to work with children after World War II, and, and the continent was decimated. And uh, they went over to share God's healing and his hope, especially working with children. But after several years, uh, they were just so discouraged. They just felt like there was a lack of power in their ministry and it not only led to discouragement, but it led to, for this young man, a deep questioning of his faith. And is Christianity even true? And is the Bible even true? And is Jesus really who he claims to be? Well, this is a, a true story. It's a story of a very famous couple. Uh, the, 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 the husband is probably one of the most, um, most, most important Christian leaders of the, the second half of the 20th century, last century. The name of the couple, I'm sure many will recognize, is Francis and Edith Schaefer. And Francis Schaefer, um, uh, their story was after they went, they, he graduated from seminary uh, in the United States, he and his wife, Edith, who also became an author in her own right, gifted author, they went to, world, to, to, to Europe to work with children. But after several years, they were just so discouraged, and it caused Francis to really question his faith. And he just felt like, for the sake of intellectual honesty, he needed to go back to square one. He had given his life to Christ. He'd gone through seminary. But he felt like, for the sake of honesty, he needs to go back and ask the hard questions. Is this really true? Is the, the foundation solid? Is the Bible truly the word of God? Is the does the evidence support that conclusion? 
Is Jesus really who he claims to be? Did he really rise from the dead? Is this really the hope of the world? And so it was a very scary time in their life because it was, for him, he didn't know where the search would lead. And for his wife, he just, she doesn't know where what her husband's going to end up. But after a long search, Francis came to the conclusion that yes, that the evidence is there, the logic is there, the truth is there. And through that process, he discovered something that he missed along the way. Though he was a Christian, though he'd gone all through seminary, he missed what Jesus had said about the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit. And through that searching, God met him in a powerful way. He began to experience the leading, the guiding, the power of the Spirit, and it transformed not only his life, but it, he went on to write millions, uh, or he went to write many, many books that impacted the lives and, and, and did films that impacted the lives of millions of people around the globe. And those books are still making a huge impact today. But after going through that, that kind of dark night of the soul, that deep search, and discovering the reality, the personal Holy Spirit, that shortly after that, he was talking with his wife, Edith. They were living in Switzerland at a chalet at the time. And Edith describes that conversation in her massive tome called uh, Tapestries, kind of a story of their life. And I put this quote there on your note sheet. And, and so Francis says to her, Edith, I wonder what would happen to most churches and Christian work if we awaken tomorrow and everything concerning the reality and work of the Holy Spirit were removed from the Bible. Like what if John 14 was gone? What if Romans 8 was gone? What if 1 Corinthians 2 was gone? What if 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 was gone? We go, like what if all the teaching about the Holy Spirit was removed from the New Testament? He says, I, I don't mean just ignored, but actually cut out, like disappeared. I wonder how much difference it would make. And as they reflected on their life and experience, they said, you know, we concluded it would not make much difference in many board meetings, committee meetings, decisions, activities. But this propelled them on a new search, like I said, for, for the work of the Holy Spirit that transformed their lives. And so what I'm, what I'm, I'm kind of using them as an example, that here were some people that loved Jesus and loved his word and were committed and yet they weren't really experiencing the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, I would ask you, it's the same question that they ask here. To what degree are you experiencing the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Like as you read Jesus' description of what the Holy Spirit will do, do you, do you identify with that? Does that sound like, yes, I've experienced that? Or does that sound like something that, yeah, I guess I believe theologically, but I don't, I, I haven't really experienced that experientially. And the reason I'm asking this is not to, um, is not to in any way condemn. Um, it's not like, hey, if you haven't, get your act together. That's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking you is, is, is to raise this awareness, right? Because Here's the thing. I think that when we read the Bible and it describes reality as up here and our experience is down here, the worst thing we can do is try to defend our experience as if it's normal. When the Bible's description of reality is here and our experience is here, this should put us to our knees to call upon the Lord to say, what is it? that needs to happen in my life to close that gap. Does that make sense? And this is a great example. So the, what Jesus is saying is this is why he came and this is why he died, so you can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, this replacement Jesus, this, 
This one who communicates the presence and the power of Jesus who leads you and guides you and opens your eyes to spiritual truth and gives you the power to follow Jesus and be transformed. This is your birthright as a follower of Jesus. And so if you'd say, you know, honestly, Michael, that's not my experience, then I see that as good news. The good news is there's a lot more to following Jesus than you've begun to experience. And let's seek after it together. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's, that leads to number two. The second question is, is, do you want a deeper experience of the Holy Spirit? So I'm sure that there are some here that you're maybe just bored. You know, you're just like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's church again. And you're like, yeah, whatever. No, no, no. I don't, I don't really want. And I'm, I'm sure there's others of us here that say, I really can identify with Jesus' talk of Holy Spirit. But I, I always want more, but I can experience. I, yes, I've experienced his leading and power in my life. But I'm sure there's some of us here that are saying like, wow, I didn't even know that. I'm kind of like Francis Schaeffer before his journey. And I really am hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, if that's you, what do you do? And I want to suggest that you take two very simple but very profound steps. They're dangerous, I'm warning you. They're dangerous. Uh, you take these, you're on a journey, right? But it's a good one. So here's the first step. The first step is to ask Jesus for the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, well, I thought you said we, we have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm not going to wrangle over language here. It's like the Bible talks about we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can have a trickle of the Holy Spirit, right? So, yes, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit. But if you're not experiencing, then in whatever language you use, you know, I think we just say, God, I want more of your Spirit. I want a deeper experience of your Spirit. And it's interesting Jesus was once teaching on the topic of prayer and about the importance of perseverance in prayer. And in that context, this is what he said. He said there in your note sheet in Luke chapter 11, he said, if you then, though you are evil, I love that. How's that for self-image? <laughs> Jesus tells us the truth. You're part of the fallen race, you know, if you and you're evil. Uh, he says, if you then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. He says, and another pastor, somebody's like, Father, is like, if, you're, you know, if you're, your kids ask you for bread, you're not going to give them a stone. They ask you for fish, you're not going to give them a snake. He says, uh, even though you're a fallen race, you know how to give good gifts to your children. He said, if that's true, how much more will your father, right, who's completely good, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I want you to catch this, that... that that this is no, the gift of God's spirit is not for the elite, the super spiritual, the special kids. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your birthright. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, if the spirit bears witness with our spirit, that we're children of God, right? If you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your birthright. So if you're not experiencing the Holy Spirit, like you want the, the step one is just to ask. Ask God, God, I just want a deeper experience of your spirit. The second step you need to take, you take it at the same time. It's important to take it at the same time. It's the second part of this prayer. And it's very simply to say, Father, if there's anything getting in the way, hindering me experiencing your Holy Spirit, would you reveal that to me? However you want to word that, but if there's, if there's anything in my life that's hindering the work of your spirit, would you please show me so I can surrender that to you? And the reason this part of the prayer is so important is because we've seen three times today that Jesus said those who receive the spirit are those who love him as defined by a life of listening and following his teaching. And sometimes one of the reasons that we don't experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is because, frankly, we don't love Jesus. We would never put it that way. But when we disobey, 
what we're saying by definition is I love this more than I love you right now. This is a higher, I know what you've said, but this matters more to me to do what I want to do than what you think I should do. Like, I love this more than you, by definition, right? And so, so often what happens is we'll say, Lord, would you pour out your spirit in my life in a fresh way? But Jesus says, well, but I only do that for those who love me. Right? And often in the words of like Jeremiah in the Old Testament, we're running after other gods. Well, there's, there's something in our life or things that we love more than him. So we're asking him to invade our life and come live with us. But the reality is that our, our temple is full of idols. And before he's going to come, we got to clean out the idols. Like in the Old Testament, Israel got so evil that they brought idols into the temple. Before the Spirit was going to come and fill the temple, he had to clean out the idols. I love the imagery that Jesus uses in this passage. I put there on your note sheet, John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to them and make our home with them. This beautiful picture of Jesus moving into our bodies, moving into our lives. And I think the reality is, is that many times we want Jesus in part of our life, but not all of our life. So if you use our, our body, our life as a home metaphor, it's like we want Jesus in the living room. We want Jesus in this room where we worship, but we don't really want him in all the rooms of our life. And so before we ask him to come, we go around and put sticky notes on certain rooms. <laughs> and, and it says, uh, not ready for admittance. And we lock the door, you know? So like we, because, I mean, we want to experience the presence of God, don't we? It's just a beautiful thing when we, we feel his forgiveness, when we feel his love, we feel his courage and his power. We want that. And so we, we want that, but we still want to put lock certain doors. And we say, like, I want you to move in, but could you stay in the living room? Well, what's this room? Oh, that's the room of my finances. I'm not ready for you to go in there. It's a mess. Well, how about this room? Uh, that's a room of my marriage. Now, I don't really, if you could just change her, that would be awesome. But let's just keep it. <laughs> Hey, hey, Jesus, could you just, like, fix my kids? It's like, well, sure, I can fix your kids, but I have to fix you first because your kids are becoming just like you. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm, not ready for, I'm not ready for that room. No, let's put that there. Oh, Jesus, it's so sweet. I love your presence, and I just, it's so special. Could you come? It's like, well, what's in this room? Oh, no, we don't want to talk about that. Uh, what's our, oh, that's, that's kind of my, that's my sexual life, you know? It's my, it's my sexual practice. It's my identity. It's my preferences. It's where I keep my porn. It's not ready. It's not ready yet, you know? Are you with me? Hey, hey well, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to come. You ready for me to come? Oh, not, wait, not quite ready. What, I need to close this door. What's that door? It's the door of forgiveness. Like someone's like, they've really hurt me. I've, I've read some things, what you've said, and they make me really uncomfortable. And uh, you know how you said, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive? I'm not really ready. So let's close. And so what we're asking is we're asking for Jesus to move in through the power of his spirit, and yet we're not giving him the keys to our house. Men and women, we want the Spirit to come. We can't pick and choose. We have to say, Jesus, here's the keys to my house. It's a master lock for every room. I want you. I want you. I want to know you. I want to know your power. I want to be transformed. I know it won't be easy. But I give you those keys, and I surrender my life. And so you say, well, what should I expect? If I pray these two prayers, 
Holy Spirit, come and whatever this, anything you need would change, just show me. I'll surrender that. Like, what should I expect? Well, you know, it's really going to vary from person to person. For some of you, when you ask the Holy Spirit to come in or for the Father just to fill you with his spirit, you may have something supernatural that happens right away. Like you may have a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit right then, right there. You may find yourself praising God in a language you've never learned. You know what the Bible calls, or at least it's speaking in languages. We kind of speaking in tongues makes it weird, but it's just really language, right? A different language that you're praising God in that you didn't say just happened to you. For others of you, it, it could be there's just a, a sense of God's spirit, the warmth of his love and presence envelops you. That, that, that probably won't happen for most, but that could happen to some, right? For others, here's what's going to happen. As you pray that right away, the Holy Spirit's going to bring to your mind in a powerful way one area of your life that's a room of your house that you need to surrender. And you know what? Many times it's going to be a familiar room. It's going to be one that he talked to you about five years ago and four years ago and three years ago. And then two years ago, he stopped talking. And you thought, good, he got over it. <laughs> He's not over it. He's just been withdrawing to get your attention. And now that you're saying, I want you, he goes, okay, let's go back to what he talked about five years ago. That's what we got to deal with. So for some of you, that'll be experience. For some of you, when you pray this, nothing will happen. But two weeks later, you're going to be in the shower. You're driving on the 405, not at rush hour. God doesn't even go there on the rush hour. <laughs> it's like things are moving too slow for him. Uh, you're driving in your car. You're minding your own business, and often the Holy Spirit comes, and he just, he just shows us what our next step is, or he, he gives us a passage of Scripture. We, we, like we, we see what he's, he wants to talk. Sometimes that happens. And catch this, for some of us, that will not happen. Then nothing will happen. You'll pray that prayer. You'll be very sincere. You'll surrender. Maybe you journal. I would journal it. Write it down. But can I tell you something? that heaven never forgets an honest prayer. And long after you've forgotten praying that, God is still working to answer that. And many times when God is working in our life, there are things that have to happen in the background of our life, in our circumstances. There's books we need to read. There's messages we need to hear. There are friendships that need to happen. There's a life group we... That, He's preparing us. And from the moment we pray, he began working. And it's going to be down the line that all of a sudden, it's going to get clear. And you're going to step into a new level of relationship with Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. And when it happens, you'll be able to look back and see, oh, I see why. I see why I had to, had to wait. I've seen that so many times in my life. Asking God to do something happens three years later. But when it happens, it's like, oh, I get it now. Like what I was asking for, I wasn't ready. And there's some things that need to happen outside of me. There's some things that need to happen inside of me to prepare me for that answer. Amen? And so what's your experience of the Holy Spirit? Do you want more? Let's pray. So Lord, as we come today to your beautiful word, Lord, we thank you for the bar it sets as a high one, that, that you've not come just to give us kind of salvation or fire insurance or whatever, and then leave us as we are, that you've come to enter into our life, to come to live inside of us, to lead us, to guide us, to, that we'd have a firsthand relationship with you that's real, it's tangible, it's powerful. And Lord, so we, we pray now as we come before you, and I'm sure that all over this auditorium, there'll be people that are saying, Father, I want the Holy Spirit. I want more of your spirit. I want a deeper experience. And there'll be some that are truly surrendering their life and saying, whatever it is, I give you the key to my house. 
you show me and I'll surrender. And so, Lord, as we come before you in worship now, as we sing this beautiful song about fresh, fresh wind blowing, we pray you'd be blowing through our lives, blowing through our church, hearing these prayers, answering these prayers. May this be our, our prayer to you as we sing this song. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.